All right, guys, today I am with Chris Davis. Chris is a manual manipulative physical therapist. Uh, he is in Acadiana, Louisiana. Um, Chris and I first met uh, at a dry needling course, an integrative dry needling course where Dr. Ma was there. and right. We had a big crew, we had like 70 people or something. And, yeah, I got to watch Ma needle your back, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of your back rehab that you've done over the years. Um, and then recently, I was just down there. We were doing, uh, we did another integrative training course there, and uh, Chris hosted. And so, Chris is uh, just one of those guys that has spent a lot of time in the manual therapy world, the rehab world, and uh, we were chatting about some different things, so I asked him if he'd do a podcast. So, Chris, thanks for hopping on. Uh, I'm glad you had me. Uh, I enjoy doing these things. Um, you don't realize you kind of, I guess it's how your mind works. You, you, you still think you're 25 years old and I'm, I'm actually 44 years old and I've been practicing 20 years. It's like, wow. You know, and then you start seeing all these people you've helped over the years, write letters of recommend. And now the other day I was counting, I was like, man, I've, I've written about 50 letters and I think I have 44 therapists that are, you know what I mean? And so it's like, you, you're no longer that beginner. You know what I mean? Right. So you have a lot of knowledge that you can pass on to people. I think that that can be very beneficial and sometimes be a light bulb for some people to help them get further on in their career and help more people. For sure. And I said this when, when I was down there, uh, of course, Mike Conlon was, was at the clinic that day with right. the course. And, and I feel like you guys had this group where you guys were just going and taking all these courses. And I almost feel like it doesn't exist in, in the younger, uh, the younger rehab people. I, I'm not seeing that. It sounds like you guys went everywhere. No, we did. So it was, um, you know, originally that's kind of how, you know, our connection with you and, and how I met Frank Gorgano there um, was we started, uh, you know, back then you got to understand this was 2006, 2007, 2008. Internet was not big. It was, I don't even know if there was something as a Zoom meeting. I'm a little bit behind the technological curve, you know, just kind of the way it went. But, uh, you know, when I first started, you know, as a PT, I, I wanted to crack bones. You know, and you know, wanted to learn how to manipulate. Well, finding a course for a PT to manipulate in 2001, that was hard to do. So you had to learn books. I had to find somebody here who did it, and he was kind of ostracized because, you know, back then we couldn't use the term the term spinal manipulation. And so when I found these guys like Mike Conlon, Daniel Bishop, and um, and then it became Derek. Derek was actually a student at the time. You know, we just started traveling, and it was me, Mike Conlon, and um, one of Mike's buddies. And then one of Daniel's buddies, and, and we went to, um, I think we all met at a spot at um, one of James Dunning's courses, one of his first courses. We actually got it closed down in one city, had to do it in another city because the chiropractic board there. And so it, it was kind of cool because you kind of felt like a little outlaw, but uh, it was a good course. And I think the, the thing that came out the most is meeting relationships like Mike Conlon and Daniel Bishop and those guys. And then we started jumping from courses to courses and went to a course with, um, when I met Frank, you know, it was kind of weird, you know, we kind of connected and we became partners and we were manipulating each other. And he's like, man, you got, you got good hands. He said, where'd you train? I said, well, I kind of self-trained, you know? And then I had a guy who um, mentored me who he was DO trained out of um, the guys from Michigan state. And so it got my skills to a level. And that's kind of why I was taking those other courses. And, um, and so me and Frank got to talking. He's like, Chris, so what are you studying? So, man, I'm, honestly, I'm studying active release because at the time, Mike Conlon, the dude has, you know, certifications in almost everything. Um, so he sent me all this stuff on active release. And, and I said, man, it just kills my hands. You know, I mean, it's intense stuff and it works extremely well. Um, and I said, so I started studying acupuncture at the time. The problem, I, I couldn't pronounce those words. I had no idea what dry needling was, to be honest with you. I had no clue. 
And so I'm telling uh, Frank that. And he's like, man, I said, it's like, you know, you manipulate an upper neck, you get a good C1-2, and you think the headache's going to be gone. And like, I got it. And they come back, and, man, you can feel the knots in those suboccipitals. And it's like, man, if I could just get to them, you know? And so I was studying acupuncture, but this Cajun boy had trouble pronouncing these words. So how do you want me to learn 3,000 words that I can't even pronounce? That's very hard for me. And so literally, I think it was about a month later, I get a call from Frank. And uh, like I said, we, we, we touch base through email, which at that time was, uh, it's amazing how 2009 to now is just different on how we communicate. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's amazing just how we can pick up knowledge from YouTube to everything and like from what we're doing now. And so I called and he said, man, I have something for you. Cajun boy, you know, he calls me the Cajun boy. And I said, well, what do you have? And he said, uh, something called dry needle. I said, what's dry needle? And he said, well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm hosting a course at my, you know, at my clinic. So looked into any board repercussions I wouldn't maybe have here because nobody, you didn't know. Like then you didn't know. I mean, you, you know, you had uh, Jan Dommerholt doing them. And um, I think Ida had just went on his own. Um, and so I, I was like, and you didn't have the research capabilities at that time that are so fast like it is today. So I said, yeah, I'll go. And so I went up to meet uh, Frank and Salone and got to meet a lot of the guys with uh, the Mulligan concept that Frank knows. And it was a pretty eye-opening course. I mean, it, cha it changed my path as a therapist, you know, taking that first dry needling course. Because I, I think it just, it adds so much to what we do. And so it, it got us doing that. And then wouldn't you know, I had to call all my friends, which was Mike and, you know, Derek. And I mean, I got Derek with Dr. Ma because he was still in PT school. And so he just went to study with them. Lucky dude, you know, <laughs> and so, um, you know, everybody, we all started dry needling. So we went from course to course to course. And then, you know, in Louisiana, it went from, Oh, you didn't need anything. And now you're going to need a hundred hours. Well, dude, I already started dry needling. So I couldn't not dry needle anymore. And so we started taking a bunch of, I mean, the, the first course that's basically all they were offering at the time. And so we took it like four or five times. So you get your hours. Yeah. So we could get our hours and we, we got to, you know, really get some knowledge from Dr. Ma and, um, and it, it was just, it was an eye opening experience. Just, I mean, a whole lot of knowledge and just you, at that time, man, I was a sponge. I was soaking up everything and anything, you know, just the amount of knowledge I was gaining. And it, it was amazing. Um, and having these guys, I mean, like the cupping, you know, Dr. Ma was teaching cupping and needling in the first class. And I hate to say it, we, we bring our, you know, portable tables and we're cracking everything. We're many, this is how I do this, this is how I do that. And, you know, I have Daniel standing up and he's got one on his, on his chest and he's standing there because Dr. Ma and them were looking at making their special cups and they were going to be a hundred bucks a pair. And well, you know, this is 2008 or nine. Well, let's Google, because what was Google at the time? Let's Google breast cups. And good enough, there's breast cups. And so we found the big cups that were breast cups, which yeah. was, you know, it was pretty cool. Because for me, I, I, I have, I've had two back surgeries and back then it was only one. I had my first one in 2006, uh, L4551 fusion. Um, can, I, can I back you up before we dive into that yeah, surgery? Yeah, definitely. So this is something that is kind of interested, interesting to me right now. You know, you said, I knew I wanted to crack bones, right? And mm -hmm. in today's, like in today's world, today's environment, there's this huge debate right now of whether therapists should even be doing manual therapy. 
forget mode versus minute, but just should they be doing manual therapy? What do you think, what do you think has evolved since you're talking, you know, 2009 or whatever, what's changed? Like why you had this passion, like, Hey, I want to be able to do this. Uh, today we're here and like, should we even be doing it? What do you think's changed? And also what got you into that mindset? Like, why did you want to do that? So back then in Louisiana, we're, we're somewhat behind, but we, we didn't have direct access here till 2016. Okay. So you know, we're doing all these things. And I mean, you, you unfortunately, how doctors re react to it, even though, um, and so in 2007, it was right before I started with Dunning's courses. I went to our mall, because people were still going to the mall a lot. And I asked the mall, got permission and asked, I wanted to ask 100 people because it was an easy subset. Okay. If you had back or neck pain, who would you go to? I had a physical, I had a medical doctor, physical therapist, chiropractor, Massage therapist, acupuncturist. You know where PTs fell on that list? Probably last. Uh, this is in Louisiana. Four out of okay. five. Because you got to understand acupuncture is a good Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it, it was five. It was number five. That, yeah. That's not what I wanted to be. I wanted you to come to me first for pain and, and, and get it there. So what has evolved? And you know who number one was? This chiropractor. Chiropractor was number one. I mean, it wasn't far off. I mean, I don't, I don't, I should have kept those numbers, but it's, it's just things. It interesting to see, you know, and, and so back then it was, I mean, chiropractor was number one, medical doctor was number two, you know, massage therapist was number three, PTs were number four. And you know what our education requirements. Do you think are. that number would be much different today? Like if you uh, redid that? I honestly do. And, and, and in some ways I'm, I'm, I'm a little skewed because I've always practiced kind of outside the box, at least what right. they see. And so, I mean, I was cracking bones. I mean, you need to, I had the group that I was early training with said, you need to go to chiropractor school. No, I'm a PT. Right. I didn't want to. And so when I found a chiropractor that I respected, he said, why would you go to chiropractor school? Go find some PTs and learn how to do it. Y'all can do it. And he said, don't tell anybody that. And I mean, he's passed me now, but that's what he told me to do. So I think today would be totally different because I think, you know, the 2020 vision that PTs had, I think it's kind of coming to fruition. You know what I mean? It's all coming. We're, we're in 2021 now. People come to us now for musculoskeletal pain. So I think if you're really not honed in with your manual therapy skill, I'm sorry, man. If everybody wanted to work out for an hour, our business would be a whole lot less. <laughs> my, my patients come to me like, I have a four-week wait right now, mm -hmm. which is a good thing. But it's four-week wait. Because people want to come and get in and they want to be done in 20, 30 minutes. I can't do that with just exercise. I can't. You know what I mean? And so, and, and unfortunately, you can change people's habits, but you still got to give them what they want. And I think manual therapy, manual manipulative therapy, and I don't think manipulation is everything. Mm -hmm. I think you have to know a little bit of mulligan. I think you have to have a big tool set. You know, that's where the dry needling kind of fell. It's just another, it's probably my best tool. But right. I use it along with everything else. So I think to do it would be different. You know? I think if you said nothing else about manual therapy, just that it, because you can make such a quick change, you get buy-in, right? So now you can change mm -hmm. habits and be, try to get that exercise stuff mm -hmm. going and, and whatever. But, you, gain, you gain their trust. Right. But if you spend the first three visits telling them to do quad sets and nothing changes, like, sure, maybe six months from now that knee would feel better, but they're never going to get there because no. it's just not going to last. Well, I mean, you, you know, you've been practicing long enough now and and anybody who's been i mean because look i've had debates with people on some of these forums that oh manipulation doesn't work and let's not get into the evidence-based practice um you know discussion because i think that leaves a lot of anecdotal stuff up for chance 
especially when you're talking about very gifted practitioners. I think I can get results that other people can't just because I have good hand speed. I have good, you know, and, and I know some other therapists who are top of the line who we're going to get different results than other people. And so I think if you can learn how to do manual therapy in a good way, you know, I mean, you, it's hard to evidence-based practice that, you know what I mean? It's hard to prove that, you know, when you're manipulating somebody and then, you know, the, the first year PT is manipulating somebody. It's just a different story. Yeah. I know, I know the, like the guru side of the manual therapy is something that people attack when they're, when they're saying, you know, talk about manual therapy, you have to do this guru. Um, I'm actually curious how much of it is technical skills, which I think a lot of it is because you and I both know that if you change something in a manip, some people can get them to pop and some people can't mulligan mm-hmm. techniques. If you change your pressure just a little bit, it works and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think there's a touch and a feel and, and a hand skill to it, obviously. But some of it I think is just confidence, right? If you walk up to me and say, I'm going to crack your neck and I'm going to fix you. Like I'm in, you know what I mean? Cause you're going to say it with conviction and, and it's an easy thing versus the person that's kind of hemming and hawing and, I've been working with some, like, it's the confidence thing. I was told that in 2006. I remember the day. It was a Wednesday. And the guy's name was Mountain Shexnight, and he was, he, his eyesight was real bad. The dude had hands that just, you know what I mean, just one of those guys. And he told me, he said, Chris, you have one good thing going for you. He said, you walk with confidence. He said, always go in there with confidence. And so I, from that day on, I said, I'm going to go in there. And I'm going to learn skills, and I'm going to teach myself skills that can give me that confidence because I, I had it deep within, but I didn't have the knowledge base. I thought I did, mm-hmm. but I want to expand that. So once I expanded that, I have, you know, um, oh, I read something the other day. You know what the biggest thing we do is we give people hope. And if I can turn your pain off in two visits and you've been to seven different people, whether it's with dry needling, manual therapy, honestly, maybe it's just a prayer under my breath or something that I'm doing with them that makes them think that. We know how powerful brain is and what it controls. I've got them wrong. I'm going to use the techniques and I get their thinking going that way. Then all my manual therapy, my dry needle and my acting, it's, it's all going to play into the game. And then I can do nutrition consulting. I can, I can get their body back to the way we know it should heal. So I do think that that's a big role in it. Um, I don't think you can just say exercise. There's evidence out there that shows, I mean, exercise something where, you know, the joints are so far off and you get nothing but spasm. What was it? It's fast, you know, feed forward activation. I mean, I'll manipulate it back and, you know, you are, or needle the psoas. They can't even do a hip abduction or a hip flexion. I needle the psoas. I don't even manipulate anything and strength's 40 to 50% better. Right. That's right. not a weakness problem, you know? Yeah, you said a couple of really interesting things there. You know, I think so often people think when you speak with a high-level manual therapist, they think it's going to be all about technical things. But just hearing you talk about the power of the mind and that kind of stuff, like, we know it's an emotional, like there's an emotional experience of the pain piece and having that conversation is, is half the battle. Um, and that buy-in and manual therapy just gives you another way to, to do that. Right. It's a huge input to the system. So your words, your confidence, the environment around you, all that stuff plays. And, um, I think we're trying to do a good job of that in, in that new course we put together with IBM. I think, uh, the NRT course, we've been trying to really harp on that. Cause you know what I think the problem with most of these young Back when I was doing that study, chiropractors and PTs, um, because back then I was getting the chiropractic board called on me a lot because they said I was doing something I wasn't supposed to because we'd given up the term spinal manipulation, but we could call it a grade five or, you know, just technical uh, stuff. And so I started looking at how they were treating people and then how we were. 
PTs do things how they are told to do them. Give me the book. Give me, and I'm going to do it just like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying from abroad, because look, it, 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 everybody has that. Sure, sure. But what I've noticed, just I'm, I'm just, I'm being general. Mm-hmm. And it's like, tell me what to do. And I've noticed this with the different, you know, um, teachings on dry needling. You know, in, in everybody, like the way that y'all teach it, in, in you give me a way to do something, not how to do something. I can do it any which way I want to. You can tell me and I can come up with my own method and me and you take the same course and we're going to treat an ankle different but get a good result because you, you taught me a method, not how to. You know what I mean? You get what I'm saying? I um, do. And, and for people that haven't been – what, what Chris is trying to say is, like, if you take an IDN dry needling course – we're teaching theories and principles behind how it works within a neurologic model, but there's no blueprints. Like hundred um, percent. You know, we get, we get people that often like, well, if I have knee pain, where do I put the needles? Correct. It's not about that. It's, it's not about this. You got to do these five needles and they got to be in this angle and mm-hmm. this direction. Here's what's happening in the body. Take your patient, their presentation and apply a concept to match. And so the reason I like it and the reason that, that, I, that Chris, I think is trying to say he likes it is that, you can take your own knowledge and background and adapt it, right? You can make it your own a little bit, um, which I love. And, and I think a lot of people love about it. Um, what, what do you think, you, you know, you mentioned PTs in particular, and I, I think that after courses for a while, I think there's a lot of people that, that want that blueprint. Correct. What makes it different when you have that ability to kind of learn a theory or, or why is that important to you? What I've learned, and, and, you know, Derek and I were talking, it's good to have somebody who's high level, and I'll be honest, I've, I've, I've mentored him, but the, 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 he's, he's really a good there. He, he thinks outside the box. So when you have two people that work together on a daily basis that can think outside the box, it's like, you show me a technique, you show me a dry needle. With everything I've done in my career, I've always added something to it. So you've given me something. Oh, man, that's pretty cool. I've added two things to it to fit my needs. Right. Does it make it better? It just makes it more efficient for me. And honestly, I find the results are better. Well, if I tweak it this way and I do this, whether it's a manipulation, you know, a C1, 2, and, oh, we're doing all this rotary, and, and we'll just do a side line. You know, a side line, you open it up, depending on the positional fault. It's all things basically mulligan, and you add a, an HVLA to it. So it, it's more of being able to add your own little nuances to it to make it work for you. Yeah. And that, that's what I think that, you're seeing with some of these gurus that they're, they're wanting to teach because I see some young guys and a lot of people come to me in, in, in our area. I was one of the first in our area. I think I was the first doing the dry needle. And so now they come, well, well I'm doing this. Don't get caught up. And, and look, there are a lot of good methods of teaching out there from Maitland to Mulligan to, I mean, from dry needling. Now we have, we know there's like four or five different types of dry needling. Mm-hmm. I think you should know a little bit of it all. And what fits the patient better? You know what I mean? That That's, I mean, when a patient comes in, where do you go? What do you want? Because I want to get them there and meet their goals. If they've got three months, we can do it in three months. If you've got a week or two, we can also do it there. The method at which I get there with these tools. And so I think it's learning and knowing a little bit of each one and, and putting into your bag and when to use it. And that's where that, like you said, the guru type um, evaluation skills come in. Like, dude, it doesn't take me long to evaluate a patient anymore. Mm-hmm. I check for red flags. Any red flags? Okay. They tell me where it is. I look, I listen, I feel. Okay, here's your metro. I do a functional movement pattern. Okay, you ready to fix it? That's my words. Are you ready to fix it? They look at me. Are you serious? Oh, yeah, we'll fix it. And so I'm already working on them. 
You know, I'm already working on them in that mindset. And you know, what got me to that is 2008, I went to a conference on, um, and I met a PT from England. He was a physio. And I said, so man, what's the difference between a physio and a PT? Well, you guys in America, he said, y'all think that you treat the body. So what do you mean? It kind of perplexed. I'm like, what do you mean? You think everything resolves in the body? And he said, you don't have a mind, you have a body and a spirit. And there was something that just stuck with me. I didn't pay much mind to it then. But you start seeing that over the years after you practice, you start seeing dry needling, you know, come about. Because at that time, it was, I wasn't dry needling. I think it was 2007. And then it's like you, you start seeing all these things kind of progressing. It's like, man, you can treat the physical body. But if you don't treat that mind and, and, and put a little spiritual in there, you have these hard cases. The likelihood you're getting them better is, is I mean, they'll, they'll be back. They'll be part of that thing. I, I want to heal people. I want to, and, and I want to have techniques and things that do that. And I think when you combine the mind, the body, and the spirit, which made now makes a hundred percent sense to me. But in two thousand seven or eight, yeah. I was like, okay, dude, whatever, you know. But it was one of those things that just stuck in my subconscious, and I kept thinking about it. That, yeah, that's that's interesting, you know. And I think the way I see things anymore is you have therapists that literally just want to do the mind side, right? We're like so mm -hmm. far. We just want to go, we want to go that way, but we're like, ah, oh, manual therapy is bad. Bring it together. It's a soup, you know, it's a soup. You want to add some beef, you want to add some vegetables. It's a vegetable soup. You got to add a little bit of it all. I mean, cause my goal, my goal is to help as many people as I can. That's my goal. Uh -huh. You know, we opened Acadiana Penguin when I, when I went with it. It's, our goal was to help as many people as we can, because you have a lot of people hurting out there and the way, and I don't want to get into Western Eastern medicine because I, I don't, but yo, we've trained people that medicine gets you better. Because when I needle people, this is the funny thing. You put a needle on somebody, you get some stuff to let go and they move their arm. They're like, so what was in those needles? <laughs> I'm like, nothing. What do you mean? No, what kind of medicine? We have trained our brains or through media and just the way we've been taught that medicine's healer. And that's the totally, that's, that's the furthest thing from the, the truth that there is. Yeah. Medicines get us over a point. We still have to heal that body. And like we we're talking, mind, body, and spirit. You've got to heal all those things to get the body. So all manual therapy is, if you have a guy just doing manual therapy, he's going to be good. He won't be getting excellent results. You know, yeah. you've, got, you've got to have a combination like we're talking of all of them. You know, so what's your skill set? Yeah. So what is the... You know, you get a client and you do some manual therapy. What, I mean, do you guys have something that is intentional from the mind, body, spirit standpoint? Or is it more just kind of like what you're saying? It just kind of flows within a session. It, it kind of flows within a session. I mean, you got to be careful when you're talking. You know what I mean? You don't want to get religious or anything. It's right. just, you know, do you realize where you are, why you are, why you are, where you are? And start, start, and, and you got to feel it out. And sometimes it's not on the first visit, you know? Mm -hmm. The biggest thing I've noticed is making people understand that I believe in a God. I believe in God. Mm -hmm. If I make sure they know that the first visit, and a lot of times that's what sets them. Like, oh, because they've been praying to get out of pain for months or years. Mm -hmm. And so now they know I believe. And they've been praying for God to send somebody to heal them. I hear it literally once a week. And so I set it with them. You know, God's given me certain talents. He's given me the ability to see things that other people I feel can't. And so look, don't worry about your pain. Your pain's going to be the least of your worries in a few months. And, and, and it's all wording. It's no different than, honestly, sales. But I have confidence in my abilities. I know right. what I can do. I know what the tools I have can do when I apply with my knowledge. 
I just got to get you knowing that I can get you better. Because that's what they lot because they've been told that by 10 people. By 10 people who literally haven't taken their shirt off, haven't watched them move, haven't touched them, and, and are the so-called specialists, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. So, you know, I can think back to, to college days at this point, and some of what you described would be leading the patient and um, setting them up to give you a positive response and all that kind of stuff. So it was presented as a negative thing right. because you're not going to get a true response and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. We were so worried about placebo effect of your techniques. Now, when you're treating patients in real life, it's kind of like, who cares, right? Like, 100%. that's exactly it. Right? Like, yeah, so what? We, mind, we put them in the right mind frame and, and they're thinking positively and things are going to go better. Is, is there a negative to that? Well, it, it's funny because you see people. I had a lady who comes in, friend of my wife's mom's, upper neck, cervical, you know, trigeminal cervical nucleus symptoms, you know, crazy. Every test she's had, which has been everything, you know, out yeah. off the wall. And I tell her in five minutes that I can, I can fix her. You know what I mean? And, and she's like, are you sure? I said, oh, no, we can't. And so she said, Chris, listen to me. If you told me, this was on her second visit, that I had to eat a bag of dog shit, a bag, bag of dog poop. I wouldn't tell anybody I did it but I would do it just to get out of the pain. You know what I mean? Right. So what does it matter if we get them out of the pain? I've seen some women. I had this one lady, an elderly um, black lady who came in and the woman was so spiritual. Her hips maybe had 10 degrees of motion. Her back had no motion. And she just wanted to be able to get up and stand down. Now, you know what her pain level was? Zero. And she told me that's because she believed in God. So I was just treating mobility and function. 90% of other people I treat, they would have been in so much pain. And that was another thing that clicked with me. Like, you see how much power your mind has over you? You see how that mind, that body, and that spirit work together? My goal is to get people to reach their goal. It's not my goal. Like I tell them, well, well, doc, am I doing better? I don't know. You tell me, because it really doesn't matter what I think. Are you being able to do the things you came in here wanting to do? Is what I'm doing when you come in here making you reach the goals you you came in to see me for? Yes, that's, that's the only response I'm looking for. You know, I'm not treating high-level athletes. And like I tell people, I get a lot of pitching kits. I'm not the mechanics guy. I will get you out of pain and get everything functioning the way it's supposed to. Now you got to go see this guy to work on your mechanics. You know what I mean? I will strengthen things. I call it neuromuscular rehab after I get everything straight. But I'm not that guy who's going to get your mechanics and, and rehab you like a Kevin Wilk or anything. I'm the pain guy. I'll get you better. I can rehab certain things. But... But if you're looking for long-term like that, that, that's not me. My goal is to get people out of pain. Yeah. No, that's – I mean, I think that at the end of the day, that's, that's what we're all trying to do, especially in these early stages, right? Because you can't get out of pain. How do you do the other stuff? No, yeah. You just can't. It's, it's, it's one before the other. Which one comes first? Right, right. I think the patient that, that I've noticed that are, the challenge is if they've experienced a trauma, yeah. they got hit in a car accident or some other form of trauma, do you add any layers to your conversation and when that person walks in, whether they're, they're a victim of some sort? Yes, I do. Usually that's when you, you, you bring on a little bit more of a spiritual talk. It all depends with that. Cause I mean, you, you, you probably done it. You treat car accident patients. A handful, yeah. They, they just take a little bit longer to get better. Right. Is it that, you know, some of them have that, you know, tertiary gain and, 
And so what does that change it? But, you know, the one thing is, I mean, they really think they're going to be crippled for life and because they're talking to an attorney, they're talking to all these things, and then they have the emotional trauma of an accident. So now they have the emotional trauma of the accident. Am I going to get better? Because I talked to 15 people who've had this neck surgery and none of them are doing good. And so now I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do because of all these so they're, they're thinking about the thing that's so far off that's not even going to happen. It's fear. And so you have, to, you have to change that early on and say everything is possible. Is it going to change your life? Yes, it's going to change your life. But we can work around it and get your life, you know, it might not be 100%, but, you know, we will be 90 95% of what you were. But, but it, number one, it's getting you thinking that way. And we're going to do the things possible to get you there. Because again, if, if they think they're going to, I mean, you know it, and I hate to say, it cause I'm not going to be the mind guy, but if you don't start changing the way they're thinking, their response to therapy is going to be a whole lot less. For sure. I mean, I work on that first with those patients. Yeah. Especially, I think like what you were saying, if they've seen an attorney or they've gotten some imaging done and gotten a bad, you know, some kind of bad news with it right. um, from, from somebody, it just, everything gets more complicated. Then. It's like, man, if we had just, gotten our hands on this thing early right or you had all these conversations we wouldn't we wouldn't be here at all so well, well I have a, you know the i have a bulging disc okay yeah, yeah i mean people people just it's you throw a term at them it's yeah. no different you can look at these i have a niece who has friedrich's ataxia it's a horrible diagnosis you know you throw that term at them and so what do i do i go look on google all the problems with it and what i'm gonna and so you start putting in your mind that I, i'm gonna have this instead of just letting it happen. You know what I mean? Like sometimes when you needle people, if you're doing a certain type of needling, it's going to be uncomfortable. And I can tell people don't, don't expect the pain, wait for it. What do you mean? Cause you might not get it. You know what I mean? You're so hesitant because it's a needle. Just, just breathe. I like that. And if you people understand that and don't let the diagnosis define you because that's all it is. It's just a word. It's not the function. It's not the mobility of the, I treat function, I treat mobility, I treat nerve muscles, bones, I treat, you know what I mean? I can get all this moving better, so it really doesn't matter about a bulging disc. We can get all this, and most of the time in two weeks, they're pain-free. Right. So, man, I'm glad I didn't sign up for that surgery. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I try to express to people, like, that was there before you got that image taken. Right. Nothing's changed. We just, you know, you got a picture of it now, but it's been there. So let's not, you know, we were getting better before that happened. Let's just kind of continue down that path. But yeah. it's hard to unsee some of those things, you know, or, or uh -huh. those, those words. We were doing musculoskeletal ultrasound. We got one at the clinic. Now, I'll be honest with you, I haven't used it much. Um, and she starts doing my shoulder. I've always had a lot of right shoulder issues and, you know, very rough. I've hurt everything. And your right shoulder doesn't look that bad. And she starts doing my left one. Oh man, your left one's bad. And I don't have any problem. In my left elbow, both my own nerves are popping over. I'm like, okay, let's not do my knees. Okay? <laughs> well, you know, about a week later, my shoulder starts hurting. I'm like, oh, uh, you know, I mean, you get told it, it, it gets in your mind, and then you start, and I'm the trained, you know, professional. And I'm like, I think something's wrong with my shoulder. And I have to have my wife tell him, Chris, you're thinking that stuff ain't existing. Because you, you know there is something wrong with it. And y'all, I haven't had trouble with my shoulder, and that was two years ago. Yep. You know what I mean? But it started a week later. Very <laughs> similar. Yeah. I, I, uh, I fell out of a tree stand probably, I don't know, five years ago now. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get my arm past, I don't know, 60 degrees of elevation. I mean, it was jacked. 
had an x-ray, what, nothing was broken. And, uh, you know, Griswold and some of the other guys, like, you can need an MRI, something's torn in there, something's torn. I'm like, if I go get that MRI, I'm going to have surgery because I'm going to see it and then I'm screwed. But it was like, it was like, okay, now I can do 80 degrees. Now I can do 90. And, you know, now I have no shoulder pain and I dodged that surgery. But I was like, I knew if I saw it, it'd be over. That's the power of the mind. Yeah. We think it, it happened. You know, and I've been reading a lot of stuff, Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Joe Dispenza on what we think and how it becomes existence. So I had a little kid come in uh, with this abdominal pain syndrome. And so I said, you know what I did with him? I found he had a big trigger point in his lower ab because he can eat whatever he wants. So I'm like, well, I told that it's his stomach and he can eat anything and everything. And no. So I just did musculoskeletal assessment. Did some visceral release and not much, but I talked to him for 10 minutes about, does he want to be like this forever? And does he think he can get better? No, I think I can get better. You know what I mean? And, and now he's like wanting to come to therapy. You know why? Because I told him he knows he can get, he can get better. And I don't want to give him false hope, but oh, I would rather do that and not succeed. But what if I do succeed? Yeah. You know, that I do succeed other than saying, oh, you've been to 25 doctors and in 2021, we don't know what to do. And nobody's really, after 21 doctors, it's all been medicine. He's doing some therapy, but normal core strengthening stuff. And, and he's feeling better. So I'm like, there's another thing that it tells me it's a muscle. He's yeah. like, what do you mean? I said, because they're strengthening it. So the pain's not as bad, not as intense. That's another thing that tells me it's muscular system, you know, neuromuscular. Right. Like, oh, so it, you just got to kind of decipher through what's going on. But number one, you, you give them hope on what, because there are so many issues, us as good manual therapists, if you're truly reading manual therapy research, that medical doctors don't even know exists. Number one, they don't have time to read their research, much less ours. And so when, oh, you know, you, you try general cervical nucleus, what's that? Oh, one of your terms. And okay, well, I mean, we just fixed your daughter who's had headaches for 12 years and used to spend $120,000 on some sort of chemo type treatment. And in six visits, she's more remarkably better. I'm okay with that. You yeah. know what I mean? And so it, it, it's, it's understanding what we have at our fingertips. And I think that vision, like we talked about of PT becoming those practitioners for musculoskeletal pain. Cause look, I have people coming in all the time, gallbladder issues, stomach issues, and it's, they're hurting in their back and their doctor never looked at it. So you send the doctor, Hey, did you check this, this? No. Can we maybe check that? And we solve, we solve problems because we're able to think outside the box. I mean, when a knee comes in, I don't look at the knee. I look at the hip. Is it maybe the low back? You know, is it L1 through L3? Is there something jammed there? Is it the ankle? I look at the whole structure. I mean, I do check the knee, but I'm making sure the whole movement pattern, the whole body structure is there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, think sure. that, I think that evolution's happening. I, I really do. Um, we kind of got off on a crazy tangent, but I wanted to sort yeah, of, you know, no, I was, I mean, it was, I think it was, I think that's probably more important than anything else we're going to talk about. Um, we talked about dry needling. You said people come to you. When a therapist asks, why do you do dry needling? What do you think it is about needling itself um, that adds value? I think it gives me a tool that I can change a muscle and I can change the nervous system and I can change the way the body heals right now. When you say the body heals, what, what do you mean by because, that? You know, the first thing we, we learned when we dry needled, you know, if you look at the early research and comparing dry needling to acupuncture, it didn't work, right? But they were comparing the two. They didn't have one without. They were comparing putting a needle in people. Just one was at specific points and one was in trigger point. I really think the needle 
And that's what we learned in the first course. Dr. Ma said, this is the most powerful thing. Because when I stick that needle in, I stimulate the body's healing. And I remember in our first course, we had like five acupuncturists that were oriental medicine, you know, um, oriental medicine doctors. And so I became friends with them. And they're like, you know, you get these high level athletes and you, Chris, you put a needle in their, you know, their calf. And I forgot the acupuncture point. And man, it'll get their left shoulder better. And I'm like, okay, what do you mean? But it's that stimulating the healing response. It's, you know, I use it as the splinter. You get a splinter and man, you can't get it out. Well, man, you keep messing with it. Three days later, you got a little pustule and it comes out. The body's pushing it out because the body knows what to do with itself. The body knows how to heal it. Our needle's just a way to guide it. You know, early on, I mean, I can remember it was old chiropractor who was at Dr. Ma's first course with us. And he said, if it hurts, put a needle in it. That's what he told me. He said, use good judgment. If it hurts, put a needle in it. He said, you're going to get most of them better. He said, this needle's powerful. And so that's what I mean by it. But when you can start understanding the neuromuscular system and putting a healing response where the nerves run, I mean, look at what your, you know, the courses you teach do. It calms that neuromuscular system. Number three, I mean, you can start doing a little bit more advanced techniques. And again, I've seen people do where, you know, it's the twitch needling. I think it's a feel. I think it's a feel. I don't think you go in there and jab a muscle. You know what I mean? I think you get it in. I mean, and look, I do a lot of twitch needling. I don't jab it. I'll work it and I make that muscle, the muscle guides where I'm going with it and it releases, but I'm not beating it up. I'm letting the muscle open up and do it. So I think I have a tool that can improve healing. I have a, I have a, a tool that can honestly get rid of a spasm now. And, and I have a, you know, so once I do that, add some manual therapy skills, guess what? I, I, you, you got full motion. You had somebody come in here after they're like, man, what was, what's in your needle? Is that yeah. medicine? You know, that those instant results are so cool. Um, I love the touch of the needle, the feel of that needle tip. You know, after you've been doing it for a while, it, it really does become as sensitive as, as your hands, right? Like you can, you can feel that tone and you can micro adjust it and that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's an evolution of me. Like, you know, you get somebody in a course for the first time and there's so many things happen. Correct. Um, and, and I think it's, you'd like to see that progression of, of feel. Well, and, and some of them, they're just scared because I've been lucky enough not to have the confidence and I was never scared to do it. Right. They told me, okay, we're going to do that. And I'd step outside the box. I'd needle friends. Okay, this is good. This is, you know what I mean? And I've just, I've, I've practiced a lot and learned new things. And now with um, YouTube, you can, you can watch some pretty advanced stuff that they're doing. And, and you got to be careful what you watch on YouTube. Oh, no. You, you. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you, it's, it's, I've also yeah, you seen, watching those dragon needling videos. Yeah, Comment, yeah. show me that crap. No, <laughs> you know, people will send that. You're going to try this. No, I'll have a, a better judgment there, you know. But I, I think, you know, this is what I tell my patients because they ask, well, what is dry needling? Uh-huh. Number one, I tell them I can bring healing to wherever I want it to right now. I can stimulate the body's healing response. And so you have areas that hadn't been touched because they're tender. And so if I can get a healing response, you know, true systemic healing response, then I'm going to improve that area. But then, I, like I tell people, it's my grease. What do you mean? If I have a tight nut, I had, you know, I had a trucking company, you know, a concrete pump truck. Man, you'd have these bolts. I mean, look, you had wedging on them. You go get the little, you know, it loosens. It's, it's grease. You put grease on it, whoop, it moves. And that's what I tell people. I said, it just loosens stuff up to where I can move it. When I go to massage it or release it or, or manipulate it, everything just moves a whole, whole lot easier after that. Um, so if we kind of circle off of that, 
I know you've had some back stuff and, and two surgeries, right? Yeah. How has your manual therapy background or, or what's the, actually we should probably back up even further. What's the story behind the back injury and then, and how did that kind of evolve over the years? And what have you done for yourself from a healing standpoint? Uh, I, I was 10 years old jumping on a trampoline. I was a little tiny guy. I mean, just athletic, but tiny. I mean, I've had stitches 23 times in my head. I've broken most bones in my body and uh, broke my left leg, compound fracture, jumping on a trampoline, double bounce, landed, snapped my leg. It was too much pressure coming up. Cut the nerve a little bit, ripped the artery. Luckily, my sister was there who was a nurse, worked for a local doctor, went to get him, sewed it up. I mean, I almost lost my leg. So I was in a cast for two years. I was in a cast up to my, you know, way up in my groin for six months and then one up, you know, three-quarter length. So I was in a cast for two years. Well, guess what? Chris ran on it, played football. When I got in my little cast, I was, I mean, why couldn't I play football? I mean, I can play in the cast. Like, no, you cannot play in the cast. So um, what happened when I found when I got to PT school was that my leg grew longer. I had a little bit of back Your issues. in the cast? Yeah. My left leg grew longer. Now, I didn't find this out till PT school and after. Um, but in, in high school, I can remember getting hit in football in my left, my, my right leg going numb in chemistry class. And I remember went to the doctor, gave me a cortisone shot. I had two touchdowns the Friday. You know what I mean? Went, okay, we're good. But I remember that after I said, when was the first time? And knowing what I know now, it was then. And then high school, college, I was pretty good. But uh, when I got to PT school, like I started pulling muscles pretty bad. You know, quads, hamstrings, and I'm very flexible. I'd warm up with, with okay, what's the deal? And then I can remember driving up to Shreveport. I went to school in Shreveport, which is a three-hour drive. My back, I would just want to stretch it. So I think it started there. And then after my first year, I was, I was out of PT school. I bent down to pick up a hot pack cover. So we were losing, using a ton of hot, and I felt a click. And that pain never went away. I mean, I went to who they thought were the best guys. I went to a chiropractor, a PT, you know, three times a week, literally for two years. You know what I mean? And a little bit of relief and at that time you know my story was I was taking pain pill and you know what that road leads to um and so that was a big learning experience and, and the whole whole reason for this I'm going to get into this and then I'll, I'll go back God brought me there so I could help a whole lot of people to get out of there because I went into addiction on pain pills and then you know having the back surgery thinking you're not going to be able to do it and after my I didn't know but you don't want back surgery but I had a two-level fusion in 2006, February 2006. I was taking six pain pills a day. I was going to therapy. I mean, it's, I was doing everything I had to do, but I couldn't sit. And I remember, oh, it's a mild to moderate disc bulge. Well, the problem was, I, I mean, I went seeing orthopedics like, Chris, you have, your, your facets are gone. He said, your transverse process are basically cracked. So he went in there and fused it. Well, man, after a little bit of, you know, just starting to work out six months later, I'm good. I mean, I was good for a long time. And then I kind of realized I had that leg length. So I start, you know, lifting the other one, doing some corrections in my shoes and what I had to wear. And it lasted pretty good. And 2012, I slipped pretty hard, took off running and probably flew up about four feet, slipped on some concrete and went and landed on my tailbone. And I cracked one of those screws. A little bit of cortisone, a little bit of therapy. I was good. No problems. 2015, I'm doing my gardening. Like, and that December, I had a sinus surgeon. I remember my left leg going numb, riding a bike, like just going numb. And I'm like, man, what's going on? What is up? And when I did my garden, my back went. And like, oh, thank God we had cell phones and I'm calling the doctor, like, bring me some morphine, bring me this and cortisone. He's like, well, let's go to the ER. I'm like, they're not going to do anything. 
Like, just come meet me. Give me this. We're going to get some cortisone, get it calmed down. And it calmed it down. I had Derek working on me, but it never got better. And when I finally went to do the x-rays, the MRI was not good. My L3 on L4 um, had, you know, slid forward. It was, it was bordering grade three spondy. And so it was, I had to have, you know, so I went in February. And that was the worst pain I've ever been in. The worst pain. I had to have my manager for my concrete business come pick up my pistols because you wake up in the morning and you feel like you want to blow it off because then nothing will get, take it away. Nothing. Like you've just, just, and, and it crosses your mind to take a pistol and just blow it off because it would, it would, in your mind, when you're in that pain state, you really think that that would help. And so I had to get rid of that. And then the doctor couldn't do surgery because the guy who had to go through the front, he couldn't do it. It was all around the holidays. I mean, dude, I offered him five grand cash and take my insurance. Like, let's get this thing done. Cause I was miserable. I couldn't, my legs felt like they weighed 250 pounds. And, and so fast forwarding had the surgery. They were basically one month, one month. If I'd have had it in February of 16, that'd have been 10 years apart, my two surgeries. So I'm now fused L3 to S1, L4, L3, 4, L4, 5 is fused anterior. And then the, my L5 S1 had fused. So they didn't fuse that one posterior, but they posterior fused the other one. And look, my leg pain went away right away. With that leg length and having to be a PT and, you know, Chris, I had to go back to work probably a little bit too early. And uh, I mean, I had to go get trigger point injections and that thing. Thank God we were doing needling to heal it. But, you know, I thought I was going to have to stop doing therapy. I mean, I really did because I couldn't, I was in a lot of pain. Couldn't move. Well, that got me into doing cold plunges which now we have a cryo chamber, you know, cause I was just, I wasn't going down that pain pill road again. And I was having to take a few and it was like, but it was, you know, it was a lot more mild. It wasn't, you know, it's so addictive, but you don't want to be, you don't want to be ruled by a substance. You know what I mean? You just don't, especially if you've been down that road before, you just don't want to go there. And so what it taught me is like, I mean, Derek would treat me. I'd get two, three days of complete relief and then it would come back with a vengeance. So we did muscle testing. And you know what this last back surgery taught me? What your core truly is. Because, you know, the core, you know, everything core, core, core. What do we think? Transverse abdominal, abdominals, and back, right? You totally forget about that whole pelvis thing. Yeah. Dude, I was working. I mean, dude, multifida, you know, transverse abdominal. I mean, I was planking, doing all that. And, man, I couldn't stand up. Well, after I finally said, Derek, we got to do something. Like, dude, let's, I'll meet you here. Let's muscle test everything. My glute med was so weak, I couldn't even hold up my leg. So we actually designed a hip machine to, for internal rotation because that leg's shorter. And so if you think of the mechanics of it, we started strengthening that. Well, man, my pain started like, even my back pain. Like it was no longer biting in that spot. And so it taught me, okay, how important is that glute med for abduction and internal rotation to control that core of your back? And then also, you know, your pelvic core. You know, you're 44 years old and man, you start having issues down there. And it's like, what's going on? Well, I had so much pressure down there for no telling how long. I, those muscles just weren't quite firing. And you know, Kegels are for girls. You know, you know, that's just, that's for women. These pelvic floor, so you say, whoa. But man, you start adding all those things into a, a, a lumbar program. And man, the rate at which you get better, you truly realize, hey. And if I go bridges, if I go, if I go four weeks without doing a bridge, my back starts giving on me. My pain just giving on me. And so it showed me how important that true pelvic core is. So every time I've injured myself, it's been a leapfrog for me yeah. on treatment ideas and how to treat people. And not only that, but now I have a common, I have a common you know, thing with you. 
I understand what you're going through. So it helped me to help a whole lot more people because they're like, oh, I just pick up my shirt and I show them my scars. Wow, yours is bigger than mine. And you know, you don't, but it's like, no, I do know what you're going through and we can get you there. But it's, again, it's that confidence. Right. No, and, and I think there's a couple of things that when I hear you talk, I mean, A, surgery is not bad, right? There's times where you need surgery. Uh, there was nothing I could, like, right. I mean, the doctor who told me I needed surgery, he's a friend. Mm -hmm. I basically threw the tablet at him and walked out. I don't have time to have surgery right now. Like, what, yeah. what do you, he said, I don't know what to tell you, Chris. Like, you can get pissed off, but there ain't no amount of therapy, there ain't no amount of injections that are going to, there's no, Right. Nothing that is going to get this thing better. It's so unstable. He said, Chris, I'm afraid you'll end up crippled. I walked out of it. Yeah. But, I, I was just worn. I was spun. You know, I was like, I don't want to go through this again. I mean, it, it is. Yeah. So that, I think that's an interesting point. And then I, the thing I really, um, I mean, thanks for sharing that story. But yeah. the thing I really find interesting is the, the medication side of that. Um, do you think that that, Obviously, you were trying to avoid pain, pain medications because you don't want to go down that road again. Yeah. Do you think, you know, I've seen some research now that it actually amplifies the nervous system later in life. Do you think there's anything to that? A hundred percent do. Like, so last time, when my back, and I'm going to be completely um, honest, um, a lot of people, know, but um, 2017, dude, I thought I was getting out of PT. I was honestly, I felt like I was going through a mental breakdown. I had my surgery in 16. I was having a bunch of issues at home, everything. I was taking two tramadol a day, which is, I mean, it's, that's mild. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you say that, I mean, dude, I was spun. Like a, a, like midlife crisis type deal at 40. You're like, oh my, but I, I was just still in pain and you don't want to be there and you help all these people with pain. All these thoughts go through your head and it's like, whoa, I took some time. I went to a treatment facility for 30 days. Mm -hmm. And I took some time and I worked on myself, but not just that. I stopped bending. I stopped lifting. And you get everything out your system. Your body knows what to do with pain. There are enough things, but it's that mind thing. Yeah. My, you know what I mean? And that, that's where the whole mind thing really came into existence for me because it was like, man, this is something. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, I literally was in so much pain. And was it me resting? Was it not? But I was so hypersensitive to pain because every time I had a pain, I took something. You know what I mean? Whether it was an ibuprofen 800 or something, I didn't want to be in that pain. And I think, I don't think our nervous system, I think it dulls our brain to truly working the right way and, and finding a pathway to make it hurt less and how to deal with it. So no, I 100% agree with what you just said with, with the new research that's coming out. Yeah. And I, I can't even remember where I read that now, but um, I was talking to Dave Griswold about it. And mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think it's when I hear people that, that even if it doesn't become an addictive level, but people that have pain medications that I don't know if I want to use the word dependency, but like that, that thought that you want to have that be able to take it away with a medication. Um, I almost, I don't know. I feel like there's some downsides to that, that are a different level than, than just the physiology of the medication. Well, um, well some of the, a lot of the research only shows it works for like three to four weeks, like truly works on pain. You know, some of the stuff I read, it's like, man. Yeah. And so now, you know, and now they're limiting it, which is great. But, you know, you got somebody with cancer pain or something. I mean, we're talking, but I'm talking true musculoskeletal pain. Yeah. There, there are times and there are issues, but the problem is we're just not treating it right. Right. We're not. We're not treating it because we're, we're having this discussion on, do you really think manual therapy works? Do you really? 
nobody is filling their bag with these tools. So I go to this therapist and he's doing a bunch of exercise and I don't get better. I go to this therapist and he just does a bunch of little manual therapy stuff. He rugs and he does this and I'm not getting better. You get what I'm saying? No, it's a combination. Right. You know, I really think if we truly did research on, you know, 10, 10 clinics who do all this stuff together, I think the, you would see a totally different ball game. But right now we're doing research. Does dry needling work? Does, does this and exercise work? And like, it's so hard to control all the variables because when you're a therapist, you see what's going on. I can't control that. I see what needs to be done. My nuances, I'm going to fix that doing this. How do you replicate that and do that on 20 people? It, it's you tough. Can't. You can't. You know what I mean? And, and I think the, I mean, I, the big hiccup I always see is the confidence side of it. Like, right. I don't know if I walk into a room and somebody asks me to do needling and they look nervous, like what are the odds that I relax during that session? And I have a, like, it's just not going to happen. Right. right. Cause you're going to be anxious the entire time. So uh, there's, yeah, the variables are just insane. Um, but anyway, um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about that glute mead piece and have you met, have you met uh, Mark Hernandez, the, the right. um, therapist that's teaching our pelvic floor therapist? I haven't. You, um, matter of fact, we talked about him when you came down okay. and I yeah. told you, but I really want to meet him. You do. You need to meet yeah. him. Um, you know, he's done a lot of the postural restoration work and, mm-hmm. uh, but he, he, like you, right. He kind of takes it and he's able to flip it in his mind and uh, just spends a ton of time looking at pelvis and mechanics and that kind of stuff. And, uh, I'd love to get you two in a conversation together. I think it'd be awesome. Like but um, what do you think that glute mead piece is? Cause I see it all the time, right? You get that L four five issue and then yep. the glute mead's got trigger points like crazy. It's weak. Yep. It tests bad. Obviously, we're controlling the pelvis, but what, what is your opinion on how that? I, I think most of us, you know, you read research, most back problems are where L4-5, right? Mm-hmm. So it, I use the hose analogy. You know, I got a hose that's, I have like a little, a drip hose, water in my garden, and I step on it. Well, guess what? My garden starts to not look good, right? Because it's not getting the fire. It's not getting the water. So with the nerve, that nerve kind of gets irritated, right? We get some inflammatory response. Well, it's kinked. Why is it kinked? Well, you know, I got a little positional fault at L4-5 my facets off, but then my pelvis is rotated. It's doing all this. So you look at the link tension relationship. I'm real big into link tension. If it's off, then guess what? It has to spasm, right? To contract, to hold. So it's the protective mechanism. Well, then I'm no longer getting that water down that nerve. That nerve is being blocked. I think it's getting weak. I think a lot of it's, whether it's, it's a pelvic anomaly or, or just, I think that feed, that feed forward, you, you're no longer getting feed forward. So you're having to compensate and protect. And so that thing locks and locks and locks. Then you start getting the trigger point pain of the glute med and it's running down the leg. So, oh my God, it's a disc injury, right? And so you, you're getting all that. Until I had to find, I mean, I couldn't internally rotate my leg, rotate it. Like laying on my I side. Control of it. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I can, I'm 200 pounds. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. He's like, no, Chris, you, I'm telling you to move it. You're not moving it. I'm like, no, I'm, and so I really think that if you, and, but it becomes simple on how to treat it. And not, I would say 95% come in with a week, but you get a few who there's no weakness. Yeah. You know, they're fine, you know? But but I think it's, where it's, and it's, oh. it's different populations too. It's, Correct. I mean, I've had weightlifters that it tests, tarot crossers or weightlifter, that kind of population. But then I've had the 100 pound female that has never lifted ever, and you still find it. It's not. Well, so but you look at those people and they're always towed out, right? Yeah. They're always towed out they're, they're, because we walk towed out. So we never internally rotate. Right. We're always externally. So we shorten. You know, if we get in that discussion, we shorten it. It tightens, right? Well, piriformis, and you got the piriformis that tightens up. You got the psoas, which tightens up, and you rock it forward. Glute med has to fire now because I got to lift my leg and go forward. Well, now I can't. 
And so it's doing it to protect itself, but then it becomes that negative feedback loop, like, oh, now it's spasm, now I start getting the pain. Right. So, so that's all. But I think if you needle that, you needle the psoas, you do the, you know, paravertebral points, you get that nerve calmed down, get it freed up, combine it with some manual therapy, whether it's manipulation or just get those segments moving. I think for the most part, you start freeing up that hose and getting everything fine, and then you can strengthen it. The problem I see with so many therapists, and, and I get a lot of other people who've been to good therapists in our town, and they're missing the first part. They're sequencing it wrong. They're trying to strengthen it. How are you going to strengthen something that's so tight anyway? Right, it's already short. You know what I mean? It's already short. You can't strengthen it. Solve that problem, which is that tightness. Get everything level so you're no longer getting that spasm response, and then strengthen it. And my result was phenomenal. When I figured out what the problem was, I mean, you know, I, mean I went and doing, you know, 200 a day just to get it strong so I could walk. Oh. And, and man, now I do it, I do hip abduction, resisted with 25 to 40 pounds twice a week. I do yeah. hip internal rotation twice a week on a machine that we design, and it keeps me, keeps me stable. Yeah, I love that garden hose analogy. You know, we, we say it's interrupting the nerve signal somehow, yeah. but I like that garden hose analogy. When you try to get that glute med, you say it's tight. Needle it, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, now, do you stretch those? What is your opinion? Do you stretch those things? Do you isometric them? Do you eccentric them? What, so what I do is I find, what I've found the most helpful probably in the last two years with needling is uh, putting people in the position of their pain. Because what do we do? We lay them down. We needle them, right? Mm -hmm. So when I have somebody with a real flared up glute knee, I make them squat or something. And then what do I do? I put them on all fours. I make them rock back on all fours. I find out where that glute meat is not moving when they're rocking back, okay? Because it's a way I can still have them in that position. I go into where I see that glute meat visually, the tightest it can be, and I needle it like that. So you're needling it under, under tension? Under tension, and it lets go. That's the quickest and, and the most effective results I've seen. When now, what do you send them home with? Huh? Do you send them home with anything? And then I stretch it. I always stretch it after I needle it because I find that, okay, so we got a big knot, right? I release it. I get it to do this, right? It's not like this, but now it's like this. So I got to lengthen that thing to get it to work like a pulley system, like a muscle is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And I find a whole lot better results when I stretch it, especially the psoas, the piriformis. I grab the sacrum. I internally rotate. I've had to use a bolster ever since my back surgery. And I've come up with some pretty cool ways to manipulate SI joints, low backs, using a bolster up under the leg, stretching the psoas, finding where the psoas tight, finding where the glute meat is tight in the internal or external. You can find it a whole lot easier. I put my hand on that, you know, on the femoral head and on the sacrum, and I just stretch it, internal, external rotation, so that they're, I want basically balanced mobility. Uh -huh. And I try and get them as close to balance, and then I send them home with a piriformis stretch if they're able to do it. And then a lot of times I rarely send them in there that spasm with an exercise to activate the muscle. I usually send them home with, they're either going to roll it out or stretch it. Yeah. I want to see if they come back. Is it less spasm? Because if I have them go activate it again and it's pulling the wrong way, it's going to be spasmed again. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. And then when do you start reintroducing your strength from there? Like the activity? I'd say third or fourth visit, depending on if the spasms, I, I, a matter of fact, I told somebody that if your spasm's 75% better that I'm feeling with the trigger point, then I'll start some strengthening. Gotcha. That muscle's, that muscle's allowed to, it, it can fire. You know what I mean? I'm not using, because if your glute meat is totally locked and you're doing hip abduction, internal rotation, you're not using the glute meat. Right. You're not. It's, yeah. you're, 
something yeah, you're using something else and you, you know, you're compensating and I want to isolate and, and strengthen where you're weak. Gotcha. And then are you just doing that? Like, uh, the machine that you're talking about, or are you doing something? No, at home, I show them how to do it on their side. Um, just sideline active internal, you know, laying on their side and just kind of picking up the leg. Um, I'm, I make them do sideline hip abduction, quad tightened and, where you're really getting that glute meat, kind of internally rotate the toe, so I'm getting true just glute meat. Or, or they can do it standing. If they're having trouble with that, I make them do it standing. I like standing because my problems were in standing, and I could do all the sideline I want till I actually put weight on it, got into a full open pack position, and started strengthening. It made all the difference in the world. Yeah. See, that's where I wonder if how much of the strength piece is actually like a motor relearning, right? Because it's, that's been in a shortened state for so long. Neuromuscular re you don't even you don't even think to activate it because it's been it's been so right. tight for so long. So how do you reload it in the right pattern? Um, right. And that's I played with a lot of the PRI stuff. In mm -hmm. it all it all starts very non weight bearing, and it's you don't really get any carryover until like, right. you can learn it. You can feel it, right? I can feel the hip yeah. move. I can feel the rotation, but until you get up and move, and it I don't know, it just never holds. Right. Uh, yeah. So that, that's that's good stuff. It's you know, and what I found same thing with shoulder link tension relationship. You know, your rhomboids, all that, your pec gets so tight, you know, your lat gets so tight because they attach to the same thing. So what do I do? I check here, but usually their low back lat is tight. You know, where it attaches at the lumbar fat, it, it gets tight. So I release that. And then you see the arm come up and then, oh, it's here. So I put them on their side. I needle down that lat, you know, get that, oh, it comes right up, you know, so you can see the change and you start looking and you see where it's not moving. And so if you think of a needle as grease, when it's not moving, then I'm going to go grease that area, right? Right. You know, always a 90% of the time do some neurological needling to calm down the system. And then I do some point. needling. Right. I mean, we're just having a conversation here, but mm -hmm. it would depend how flared up they are. Right. If, no, they're, right. if they're in a ton no. of pain, you're not putting them on stress. No, I'm no, 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 I'm neuro, I'm neuromuscular. Right. You know I'm, what I mean? If I, if, I, if I don't think if I can, if I don't think I can change their pain, if, if I cause them pain, and I can't change their pain for the better Then I'm probably not going to do it. I'm going to calm them down. And I'm going to say, look, we're going to do three to four visits to calm you down. I also have my cryo machine. I have a beam. I have a few things I can do to calm that nervous system down enough where I can start doing those. Because again, the last thing I want to do is flare things. I've done that enough. And, and you, you learn by experience, you know, especially with headaches and things like that. You, you just learn, ah, I shouldn't have done that. You know what I mean? And luckily you're still able to help these people. But again, there's a ton of mobilizations with movement. You can teach people to start improving that mobility. And all I need is a 10 to 20% reduction in that pain to be able to start doing what I need to do. Right, you can get in, yeah, but you gotta right. you gotta get them off that that acute flare. Um, right. But yeah, I've been there too. No, that's that's awesome stuff. How how often are you looking at you always length tension or that muscle? It, length? It, it's just worked for me with the way things have gone, and it's kind of like changed my thing because I used to treat off the plumb line, treat everything off the plumb line, get everybody back to the plumb line. That was before I had advanced skills. Yeah, and you just stretch them, on, and I was getting a ton of people better. You know what I mean? But then I started adding all these advanced skills. And so now we have these cool apps, you know, these, you know, the um, Complete Anatomy app, which has just changed the way I needle tremendously. You know what I mean? I wish we had that back then because it's just amazing. I can turn the neck. Oh, that's probably what's tight. You know, because what I do a lot is, is by feel. Okay, you're tight here. Well, what are you releasing? I don't know, but it's holding you into left rotation. So I'm going to release that. You know, and a lot of times you do our neuromuscular needling and God, you calm so much of that stuff down and then they have one little piece that's still tight. Okay, well, let me get rid of that. And so it's learning, it's learning how to combine these different methods of thought 
to provide an overall better experience for the people. And then guess what? If we could all do that as therapists and stop saying, hey, I, I take that course. I do this course. I did this course. And I do that. Well, I know where your method of thinking is and I know what you're missing. Right. I, you know what I mean? I love my stuff. I, I mean, but it's no different than Brian Mulligan. When I first met Frank, best manipulator out there. He doesn't teach manipulation. We all know why, you know, the liability. But you know what I mean? Dr. Ma, I mean, you've seen him needle some people. It's like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Let me see that again. How'd you do that? Like, let me get a microphone, let me, uh, you know, a magnifying glass to see what you did. But it's that comfort of knowing what they're doing. But how do we do that? We step outside the box. We start learning new things. All these things work. All these techniques, all these things we hear about, they all work. But what works? Do you know them enough? Do you know enough of these to put it into your bag to use it when you need it? I don't have to be Maitland certified. I don't need to be, you know, I, I know how to do a lot of these things, but I'm not going with the method of thinking. I, I do with the nuances in the bag of equipment I have, this big tool bag that I've, I've increased, and I use it when I feel it's appropriate. Not everybody gets manipulated. I, a lot of them do, but not everybody does. You need some mulligans, you need that. But, but I would call myself a manipulator. You know what I mean? But it's, you know, I was told that, you know, you've arrived when you're, when you're, you know, a manual therapist, when you know when not to do it. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I actually just wrote a line on our, on my website about something about you need to have a lot of options so that you can pick which option to use when. Correct. Because if I only have one option, I'm going to use it all the time. Because that's right. like, but that's exactly. a long journey. Oh, no. It, it, and you have to be willing to look outside your comfort zone. Uh -huh. You have to be willing to look at these things. You know, um, and, and again, what I liked so much, and I had about 10 people that I sent to do my stuff early on first, and they went and do some other stuff. Every time I talk to these guys, they thank me. Thank you. Because they have such a broad way of thinking about things. Because I think the, the way that y'all teach the dry needle, it just opens up. When I first learned dry needle, and it might be, but everybody said, was it hard? Dude, it was already what I knew. I just learned how to use this tool. I knew everything they told me. I knew everything they told me. You just told me I have a new tool to use and basically how it could be used. You didn't tell me how to use it. You told me how it could be used. Right. So you told me, hey, I can use it. So now I can use it for everything. And I think that's how therapists have to think. Like, I mean, look at the McKinsey guy. McKinsey, McKinsey, McKinsey. You know what I mean? Is McKinsey good? Dude, when it's effective, it's effective. So you need to know when to apply that. Does, is dry needling for everybody? No, I dry needle 95 to 98% of patients. You know what I mean? I just do, I find it effective. Am I doing a big deep needle, twitch needle on everybody? No. Do I do some just balancing light needling to stimulate that healing so I can get a better response in the gym? Yes. You know, because that's how it works. And I promise you, if we as a profession started stop competing against each other and stop competing about my methods better than yours and learning a little bit of each one of those methods, I promise you our results, you wouldn't need another profession. You know what I mean? I think, I think you could see, you know what I mean? It, it's, but, but we fight each other on exercise works. Yes, exercise works. We've been doing that for centuries. You know what I mean? But, but so has the other stuff. And exercise is not for everybody, but I can strengthen things. I can get people out of, out of pain for a few days. And if it keeps coming back, guess what? I know that's a weakness problem. We definitely need to start. I know you only want to come in here for 20 minutes and me get you going, but if you want the pain relief you're looking for, you're going to have to do these exercises. You know, and so exercise has its point, but I don't think exercise, I wouldn't treat as many yoga teachers and Pilates teachers and all these teachers if core strength was the only thing you needed 
if it were the only thing you needed. Right. <laughs> I don't think I would. Uh, yeah, no, I think, yeah, we're definitely on the same page with that. And, and I, I agree with you. I love the, and I'm, I'm, I feel fortunate that I got introduced to IBM first, right? That was like, that was my, that was my foundation. But this idea of being able to needle systemically, whole body kind of an approach for an acute pain. And then like you said, as that pain gets local, then we got to, we, we localize our treatment. Um, and then, yeah, load it afterwards, right? If I can treat everything, then I can specify what I need to treat later. You know what I mean? Right. So that, but that's you, what I love about the But if you have to treat local, that's a disadvantage. Correct. Right? Like if your only mindset is local tissue, now you're screwed because there's times where that's going to go bad. No, it, it, I can't tell you the last time I treated a back and just treated the back. Yeah. Or I can't tell you, again, a knee. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had, and I've just had four or five knees that come in and literally it's been three manual therapy treatment. Okay, go do those exercises you were doing and you should be good. And like dancers and because I treated the hip. The hip was the problem. We have four muscles that cross both joints. You know what I mean? I need to look at both of those. We just need to get out of that mindset, guys. It's just one thing. It's yep. not. And, and honestly, if you can, you know what I talked about, the mind, the body, and the spirit, your body works the same way. It's not just one thing. You know what I mean? It, it, it's usually multiple things. The system doesn't just break. You know, if I tear my ACL and I'm twisting and the guy nails me like this, then guess what? My hip is probably pretty knotted too because it eccentrically loaded to stop that thing from from, you know, tearing, but it's still tore. So I still have that problem, which is going to cause the knee to hurt too. So right. I think if as a profession, we could do that. It'd be amazing. I think it's, I mean, I, I think it's getting better. I think those conversations well, are happening. I mean, look in the last three years, yeah. you know, I, I waited to do my doctorate and I'm doing my doctorate and just overall, just kind of where the research is going and, and some of the things. And again, it's hard to, to prove that, but I think we're, we're thinking on that means, you know what I mean? We're thinking of, I mean, look, when I first started dry needling, I had calls telling me I was ruining my profession in this area. I had two phone calls and said, I can't believe you. What do you mean? Like, no, I'm just the first helping to get it passed so that we have another tool to use. Yeah. I mean, those arguments are still happening on social media too. Though. Yeah. Oh, no, I know. It's crazy. I don't get in them because I get, I get real fired up. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, man, I know you got a crawfish bro to get to, right? Yes, sir. I appreciate it, man. I, I enjoyed I this. It. Yeah, this was fun. Well, we'd have to do it again sometime. All right, man. Thank you. Chris, thanks. I appreciate it, man. All right, man. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the Fit for Tomorrow podcast with Chris. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Fit for Tomorrow podcast with Chris. You can find more of his information in the links uh, listed on our homepage or on the YouTube page. Uh, He's at Chris Davis underscore the specialist on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, He shares all kinds of great content online. So I hope you guys give him a listen, give him a check out. Uh, If you haven't, please like subscribe to the podcast and uh, hope to see you on the next episode.